All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Eli Kavan podcast. Um, I'm thrilled to have Malhar on my podcast today. Uh, he's someone that I studied with at Laurier when we were doing a, a master's in mathematics. So, Malhar, can you, you know, tell a little bit about yourself and, you know, what you studied at Laurier? Sure. Uh, thanks, Eli, for having me. Uh, so, once again, this is the first time on any podcast for me, so I'm a- Equally excited. Um, actually, I wanted to correct you there. I think we both did Master of Science in Mathematics. Okay. From mm. <laughs> uh, So, yeah, Eli, just basically I, I did Master of Science in Mathematics, whereas you focused more on physics. Mine was more focused towards financial mathematics. Uh, purely based on all the courses that I did, uh, I was focused on finance overall, uh, more so to do with quant finance. So my overall background is trying to understand uh, how exactly financial securities work and how, from a mathematics standpoint, we can apply and develop models that can be applied in the art of finance. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much a brief introduction of who I am. Uh, currently, if you want me to describe that as well, currently I work in the industry as a model risk management analyst. Uh, I work with a big pension fund. Basically, our job is to validate models that have been developed by quantitative modelers as well as uh, financial modelers, which are two different uh, kind of specialists in the industry. They develop models. Uh, Our job is basically as a second line of defense. We sit in the company and uh, we find out what are the model risk errors or model risk uh, potential with all these models. Uh, our job is more to do with regulatory as well as compliance uh, functions mm-hmm. within the company. So we don't answer to any third-party audits. We just answer to the guidelines set by within the company. So even if the regulatory companies have their own risk uh, assessments, we have to beat those and have our own guidelines that go above and beyond these uh, regulatory uh conducts interesting yeah so the kind of idea that behind doing this podcast was um basically a mcgill course that you shared on on linkedin about you know increasing your financial uh knowledge and so could you maybe get into and i know we were talking about this before we began the podcast about why this is important do you think sure yeah so uh the reason why i shared so i shared it with pretty much everyone uh the reason why I shared was normally uh, we don't have, especially from a Canadian standpoint, I think we don't have a lot of courses that are widely available and free. So the barrier of entries to certain courses, especially in personal finance, is very limited and high. So I wanted to share a course that's by that's done by a reputed source, which is McGill. And it's also not as detailed, which sometimes could be an overwhelming situation when it comes to finance because people don't want to learn as if it's very difficult. So this one is peddling to the lowest common denominator, introduces very slowly to all concepts of personal finance. So things you need to know if you wanted to sort of start saving up, say, for your future retirement. And at the same time, it's widely available. It's free. You jump on their website. I'm not sure. I think you did that course as well, right? Yeah, I completed it. Yeah. How, how difficult was it to sign up? It was fairly simple. You to just sign up and put your email in and you're good to go kind of thing. Exactly. So I think that's a wonderful resource for yeah. anyone uh, who's looking to 
get into even try and save for their future. And I'd say that, you know, often with the same thing with kind of physics is like, if you know the background mathematics, these kind of things aren't too difficult. One of the biggest barriers, if you enter any kind of field, is just the language that they use. And so, especially I know that, you know, me and Malhar took a stochastic calculus class together. And one of the hardest things for me was just knowing what all these kind of terms mean, bond and compounding. They're all like these, you know, big kind of words, but they, you know, they, they have kind of easy uh, definitions. Right. Yeah. So uh, I agree. Uh, they, they, they involve you into finding out exactly what these definitions are. So finance, like, especially let's, let's keep everything down to just personal finance for this podcast. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing is no one really asks you to do your own models. I think a lot of people get confused about, Oh, we have to set up our own Excel files Mm -hmm. and we have to track how much money is being spent. We have to track how much money, not really overall, the whole process can be made quite simple. Yeah. The only thing is we need to understand the benefits of pretty much uh, all aspects of money. Yeah. Uh, whereas, whereas a lot of people don't understand exactly what inflation rates are. And then you, I feel at a certain point, not only have we lost an idea or the essence of personal finance, but now you have people who don't understand exactly what's going on. but. <laughs> have scare tactics. So for example, mm-hmm. you might have someone in the news going, okay, the yield curve is going to in- invert. And then you have people scared and, you know, just going short on the stock market like crazy because they think something's just hit the fan. So I feel in finance, especially a big risk is not from, is not from lack of knowledge, but miscommunication because you have people who don't understand exactly what's happening. And yeah. then they've, form their own judgments right yeah which could be difficult to gauge especially in a herd mentality sometimes (laughs) yeah and i think the biggest thing like you said like you don't necessarily need to run your own models or or anything what you need to do is go in and and know the type the type of investment investor you are like the kind kind of horizon you have how aggressive you can be um and that will kind of dictate what kind of stocks that you should buy right so i mean that's something that was really emphasized in the mcgill course is like you know, here is a really cheap type of stock. You're not going to get the greatest return on it, maybe, but um, you know, this is the type of stock you should be getting if you know if you're on the cheaper side, like like myself, like you know, just coming out of school. Whereas if you're looking for, if you have tons of money and you're just looking for uh, huge gains, you go into the stock market. If you if you're a little less aggressive, target those bonds or indexes. Which I never knew what an index was before the course, and like that was something that just jumped out at me as something that I should be investing in. Well, yeah. So index, you don't really invest in indices. Um, Index is basically formed by firms that actually track the market. So a big example of the index fund is uh, S&P 500. So it basically takes all the 500 uh, large gap uh, companies and tracks their performance using an index. So that's actually a good point that you raised. So normally, my opinion is you don't have to recommend people to invest in stocks directly because mm-hmm. there, there's a big issue with investing in stocks directly. When we talk about investments, uh, there are two notions that comes to mind. First is the return, and the next is the risk. Yeah. Returns may be negative. For example, one stock could be doing somewhat bad, but 
the risk involved in it is not that much versus another stock which might be doing extremely well but the risk is really high mm-hmm. in my opinion if the risk is high maybe you have equal chance of losing a lot of money mm-hmm. as you get a lot of return so i think overall it's good to invest in something called exchange exchange traded funds or etfs mm-hmm. these are a collection of stocks in a specific risk category that's designed by portfolio managers or uh, hedge fund managers that actually have a lot of experience with these sectors and then they design all these stocks together uh, there's a big method of doing everything but they actually trade in the market so there's a lot of tax benefits to them as well so etfs are actually a good product to get into right off the bat if someone's not deciding to lose a lot of money in the stock market because it's it's not always easy to make consistent returns but mm-hmm. as long as your risk is low it's always a good idea to go into something that exposes your portfolio to multiple stocks versus mm-hmm. just one specific stock yeah and the other thing it kind of mentions in the course is about um, you know, maximizing your returns by, like, I didn't know you could just, you can just trade from uh, TFSAs or from, you know, your retirement uh, RRSPs kind of funds that, you know, there, um, they have, there's tax benefits with those funds. Like obviously TFSA is a tax-free savings account. So you have the ability to put a certain amount in each year. And if you're trading from that, then you're saving a lot of, you know, potential ta- um, taxes that you're earning on the, on the income. Uh, yes and no. So with TFSA, I would recommend uh, everyone who is looking to trade through registered accounts or TFSAs mm-hmm. to go through the guidelines as to what exactly they are. So I think the biggest thing, first and foremost, I, I always recommend people, and especially if someone's starting out with a savings for themselves, I would recommend going into high interest savings accounts. Mm-hmm. Is also in finance is called uh, HISAs or HISAs. Uh, they're nice because some banks actually give you a good amount of uh, high interest savings. Hmm. The advantage of high interest savings is uh, they give you guaranteed interest. Mm-hmm. Now they are taxed, obviously, but un- unlike TFSAs, you, in TFSAs you normally don't get those high uh, savings. Yes, yeah. interest rates. Yeah, uh, with TFSA, yeah, you can obviously go into trading with those, but especially for someone who is an undergraduate degree and trying to save money, I would recommend going and opening a brokerage account and trying mm-hmm. to, you know, normally yeah. if you open a bro- uh, brokerage account, you always have a TFSA. Mm-hmm. Okay. You always recommend. Yeah. Uh, the only big thing with TFSA is uh, by CRA, you have to make sure that you don't contribute to your TFSA more than the required amount per mm-hmm. year. Or else it's penalties. Yes, uh, the penalties are massive. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, they're important that you don't. So it's easy to find out how much you can contribute. You just go to your CRA account. You can actually look up how much you can contribute per year. Uh, One thing to watch out for with TFSA too is if you take that money out. So say you invested or transferred one thousand into your TFSA, but if you take one thousand back out, you lose that contribution space for that for, for that year. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's it's important to keep on track with those things. But I think with, in my opinion, like I think personal finance starts with learning the basic. Are, are you allowed to swear on your? Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. 
So you're you're supposed to learn the basic shit. That's yeah. that's my opinion. I think it starts from first understanding what exactly is why do you need to save money? Yeah. And then there's I think a couple of subreddits that are very it's especially in Canada, there's one called Personal Finance Canada or something. <laughs> uh they they are very risk averse, so it's a good place to start because right off the bat they teach you that it's a bad idea to even lease a car, which sometimes is a detriment because if you're making good money, obviously you want to buy the next sports car that comes out, Mm -hmm. but they recommend you to buy like a 1998 Corolla. Mm -hmm. So having that mentality right off the bat uh, when you're graduating high school and knowing that spending money is not a good idea helps you to helps you to understand exactly how your expense and savings and all that stuff Mm -hmm. would affect you later on in life because no one's asking you to not enjoy life it's just making sure that you keep enough money for your retirement yeah and it's about building assets for yourself that are gonna you know increase in value in the future and like you you talked about or at least beat inflation because the big problem with money is money loses value yeah. So uh, the thousand dollar that you have today may not be worth thousand in five years. Yeah. So exactly. you need to beat that inflation rate, which sometimes I think right now normally most people use two point two five percent as a mm-hmm. as a basis. But yeah, your goal is to beat that inflation yeah. rate so that at least the thousand dollars you're holding in your savings account has enough value at the end of five years. Yeah. And uh, that's a big thing in the McGill course too, where they talk about like one of the first um, modules is on compounding. So if I put a thousand dollars in my savings account and I, you know, have this whatever interest rate and I come out with a thousand and twenty-five dollars next year, I'm earning interest rates on that a thousand twenty-five dollars. So I'm steadily increasing my um, my amount as the years go by because of that compounding interest rates. Yes, so that's a good point. So normally when we talk about compounding. I feel people forget that, okay, I keep my 1000 in a savings account, mm-hmm. $25 at the end of the first year. Mm-hmm. That's, that's quite a high rate, but say that's what happens. Then taking out the 25 because you earned it doesn't really give you the benefits of compounding because yeah, exactly. at, the next, at the end of next year, you're starting again at 1000 yeah. So the, the advantage of compounding is basically if you do decide to use the benefits of compounding just make sure you don't take money out just if you can't contribute don't contribute just keep it there yeah the the advantage is if you keep it there it will compound regardless but if you take it out you're not doing yourself any favors yeah you're losing out on the principal so the compounding works on the principal which is the amount that's in that's that's in the account at the end of the day yeah and i have to take this moment to uh say a, a very famous quote, which is that compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. Mahar, do you know who said that? Uh, just going to name some famous finance, finance yeah. people. <laughs> You'll be wrong because uh, there's no one from finance. No one from finance? No, it was Albert Einstein. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty was funny. Was he talking about compounding? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so... I. I, that was mentioned in the McGill course. I was like, really? He said that? Okay. <laughs> so that was, that was pretty interesting. Uh, and I guess to preface all of our conversation, you know, there's resources out there, like go to your bank and you can talk to 
financial advisors that will, you know, make sure that you're, um, yeah, uh, in my opinion, <laughs> I wouldn't, but again, you're, this is I, your industry. No, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. Okay. with okay. FAs, like, I think with FAs, the big problem is their salespeople. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to personal financial stuff, I don't really trust someone who's main criteria is to do sales That's fair. i would personally say there's a lot of resource available online mm-hmm. uh, you just have to google it yeah okay yeah it, it takes time uh to learn but the advantage of when you're in high school or when you're in university is no one really looks or no one really wants you to think financially reasonably mm-hmm. well they just the most stigma with young people is they're going to be terrible with money. So yeah. the advantage is take your time, look online, uh, don't speak to anyone who is a salesperson because with FAs, if they can sell you a certain product, yeah. in most cases, they would not recommend, say, if you can get qualified for s- certain products or mutual funds, uh, they get a certain sales bonus. Mm-hmm. And obviously their best interest would be to put you into those products instead of products that you feel safe with. Right. Yeah. Um, even though right now I think with all the industrial uh, regulation and stuff like that, there's a lot of changes in those aspects, but even then it's better to know your own shit than mm-hmm. to have someone else teach it to you and then guide you on how to do it. Yeah. And also it's just like towards what you were saying about, you know, younger people are kind of told that they're, you know, not good with their money. You can't just, you know, kind of push that off until when you're 30 or whatever, and then expect to suddenly invest your money smartly. It's better if you kind of start now and, and, you know, learning how to do that, then when you, when you start getting more money from getting a better job, you'll be more smart with your money. Right. I I think that's a good point too, with the whole COVID situation. I think, Mm -hmm. uh, I agree that the government helped uh, a lot of people with uh, with the 2000 CERB uh, per month thing, but mm-hmm. I believe if if the situation was as bad as some of our neighboring countries, I think a lot of people up north would have suffered, hmm. and that's mainly because not not everyone, and this is just the sad truth, not everyone is prepared for tough situations like COVID. It just Mm -hmm. affects everyone equally, but at the same time, not everyone's equally well off to deal with these situations. Yeah. So having that extra blanket just gives you that opportunity to deal with situations like COVID much better than what you would have done if you don't have a savings account, for example. Yeah. So you have uh, normally, there are rules that a lot of financial advisors actually set out with they recommend having three months salary saved up put into a high interest savings account just in case you lose your jobs those kind of things you can always obviously google and learn and you know Mm -hmm. based on how convenient and how in control you feel you obviously save enough money to make sure that but everyone's uh strategy is different everyone's uh, circumstances are different so yeah i think i agree with covid i think if if not before i think after covid a lot of people have become a little bit more proficient knowing exactly where they stand and what they need to get, what they need to do to get to a certain place where they feel more comfortable. Yeah. Okay. So I'm really interested, Mauer. The last kind of topic that I want to go over is kind of your uh, best and worst investments that you've made and kind of like, you know, 
if you give some some, some figures that like with what you're comfortable obviously but what were some of the best decisions you've made in the market and some of the worst i think best decisions have been um i have a savings account so i contribute a big chunk of my salary every month into my savings account mm-hmm. i think that's my best decision because it helps me uh it helps me i don't know it just it's a good feeling to see your savings account once in a while to see it grow mm-hmm. uh, apart from that i don't really invest much in stock markets apart from hmm. uh investing in ETFs. Certain, yeah etfs mm-hmm. so i don't really have best investment strategies but mm-hmm. i think worst ones were when the whole weed stocks <laughs> start hitting big a couple of months years back actually mm-hmm. so uh there was one weed stock I'm, i won't say which one but mm-hmm. uh there was one that i thought was going to do really well in canada and uh i invest i threw a couple of change here and there and actually i was doing my masters back then mm-hmm. so i it wasn't like i was well off i just mm-hmm. had some chump change that i could throw at it so i did and it ta- tanked in value by half so <laughs> that was probably one of the worst decisions i ever made and that kind of shows you kind of the, the dangers of this like even it you know going down by 50 percent. that's a, a huge loss right but um like yeah, definitely... i mean i didn't lose much but mm-hmm. it was close to 200 to 300 okay. overall mm-hmm. so like it, even though it wasn't much but it was at a situation where and this is where i think young folks need to understand better mm-hmm. is stock market seems cool and mm-hmm. there will there will be a lot of people who would talk about hey i put like three thousand dollars in bitcoins and they yeah. did so well have like a seven thousand dollar but very few people actually put money uh, put money where their mouth is with situations like this especially where you have some stocks that obviously would do well like when i invested into weed i thought that they were going to shoot really well it was when the whole uh canadian market opening up to uh legalizing weed Mm -hmm. situation in my opinion it was not going to go down i mean if you think about it, at that time, no one really thought that those yeah. specifics would do bad. Yeah. And the company I invest, uh, I invested in was actually a leading industry mark, uh, market maker. So they basically set forth the whole legalization process. Hmm. When their stock price tanked, it kind of was a big, big signal at that point where hmm. you never know what's going to happen. It snowballs. And then other, you know, other types of uh, other company stock will also go down. Like the, the whole kind of point is you never know when that stock's reached its peak, right? Like even like I, um, I, I did a course on time series data and obviously you probably know more about this and there are more complex models you can make, but it showed this like um, uh, neural network that you can make to predict kind of stock data. And then it, it did like, I think it was like a, 70% accurate or something and she was like oh that was pretty good I'm like not really if you're putting in thousands of dollars into that particular stock right right yeah so with models it's never never accurate especially yeah. with models that are trying to figure out stock markets it's mm-hmm. yeah I still remember like we like my whole uh, master's thesis was based mm-hmm. on trying to implement implement stock market uh, using a model mm-hmm. but the thing with the big issue with these models is 
normally when they're built, they're built with one purpose, and that is to simulate as many paths as possible. Mm-hmm. So you don't take just one of these model output, you yeah. simulate them a thousand times, and yeah. then you try your math on them. So yeah, yeah they're, they're known to be extremely unreliable. But for testing, benchmarking, and stress test purposes, mm-hmm. they're useful. So Yeah. And there's just there's so many um, like external factors that influence how a stock goes up or down, which makes it, you know, you can't feed all those into a model, like whether or not a CEO has, you know, got in trouble for something that might push the stock down or something, right? Like, so it's almost kind of like a, like, you know, we talk about celebrities and there's like, um, you know, lots of gossip and stuff. There's, there's a lot of that goes into stock trading. Right. Yeah. In risk management, we call it reputation risk. Mm. So uh, there's there's uh, shocks that can be modeled into stock market uh, time series models. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do that using jump diffusion models, for example. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I agree. There's a lot of things that are beyond the scope of basic models that are sometimes used to replicate yeah. stock market movements. Okay, Mallor, any last kind of advice that you have for anyone who's just trying to become more financially literate, other than try out that McGill course, which I'm going to share with the with the meaning details, podcast details? Uh, not really. I think uh, as early as possible, you can start looking into your financial situation. It will yeah. help you in the long run. Uh, I think there's a lot of other things that need to be considered too, for example, uh, OSAP and all mm-hmm. the other stuff. Uh the fun thing about finance is once someone becomes well-versed in the art of finance, you can actually figure out ways to make more money. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you have a nice chunk of savings in your account and you decide in January when you graduated to whether or not you want to pay off your OSAP loan or you want to keep it in your savings account. And then you mm-hmm. realize, hey, I graduated, I have a six-month yeah. uh, waiting period. Well, why would you pay it off? Just keep it in your savings account, yeah. earn interest on it, and then pay off your OSAP. So there's like little things you can do for yourself that will help you. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually save more money in the long run. Yeah, exactly. All right, Mal, um, I'm going to share your LinkedIn profile, but any other kind of place where people can uh, reach you if they, you know, want to ask questions? Um, nope. No. LinkedIn is probably the best place to be. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming on uh, the podcast, Malhar. We'll make sure to have you on again. Sounds good. Thanks for having me.